Hello and welcome to Changes You Lot. It's Annie here and I'm so happy and excited to bring you this episode. It was uh, an episode that made me actually well up with tears several times, but also laugh a lot. I had a very warm feeling in my heart afterwards. That's because the person who I spoke to, my guest this week, is genuinely someone who will make your heart sing with glee. He has not only seen massive change in his life, going from an unknown train obsessive to a viral sensation, but has changed the face of what it is to be a train spotter in general. In doing so, he has made millions of people very, very happy. I am talking about Francis Bourgeois, real name Luke Nicholson, a man who describes himself as a railway and an engineering enthusiast. He is now the world's most famous train spotter, with over 2.8 million followers on TikTok and 1.6 million followers on Instagram. Strapping a GoPro to his head, Francis is known for using a fisheye lens to record himself watching trains fly by. He's so euphoric upon the train going past, and even more so if the train toots its horn, or tones as Francis calls it, that it's impossible not to be like infected with his enthusiasm. It's so contagious and it's so endearing. He has many celebrity fans. Everyone from Joe Jonas to Thierry Henry has joined France's train spotting and he collaborates with brands like Gucci. He has written a book, The Train Spotter's Notebook, and currently hosts the series Train Spotting with Francis Bourgeois for Channel 4 with guests like AJ Tracy and Ashling B. So despite Francis Bourgeois' huge success, he has had a situation with people questioning his authenticity. As Luke Nicholson, when he was at school, he changed himself to fit in. When pictures were found, some people jumped on it and called him a fraud, an accusation which he discusses here in amongst his changes and his life story. I absolutely loved talking to Francis Bourgeois for this episode, but I'm going to let you hear him and judge for yourself. Enter the podcast, Francis Bourgeois. Francis Bourgeois, hello, and you are so welcome to Changes. Hello, Annie. Thank you for having me. Did you know that there is a mug online with your face on it, in a heart, with the words, I choo choo choose you on it? Wow. Um, I wasn't aware of that, but I am aware of valentine's cards that had that on it <laughs> really yeah the whole part of doing the research for this interview was so lovely and fun and joy-filled because <laughs> i just got to watch you being incredibly excited on train platforms that was a, a fun little bit discovering that mug yeah um what's your favorite train in the world the class 37 and why for many reasons um, it was manufactured between 1960 and 1965, and it still runs on the railway today. The main thing that it does is uh, run on sort of test train services. Yeah. So trains that will use ultrasound and lasers to scan the track. Um, but I'm not as interested in that side of the train, more about the locomotive, the 37. And that's because it sounds absolutely amazing. There's very little muffling between the big V12 engine and yeah. the ex exhaust. So when it goes on to full power, it's like such a bassy, rattly rumble yeah. that it sends like goosebumps all like through my body. Yeah, I was um, at Barnes Station uh, night before last 
and I was going to see two class 37s and it was such a roller coaster because the reason why I wanted to see this specific service and venture out at past midnight uh, was mm. because I heard that the, one of the 37s had blown up previously and I was waiting on Barnes platform. It was completely dead. There was like an owl next to me sort of going, <laughs> and, I was, and I was waiting for it at the end of the platform and I saw it coming around the corner. And 37610, the one that had supposedly blown up, was li- was leading. I was like, what? And I was shocked to see it. And then uh, it just erupted. The driver gave me some tones. And it was like, I watched the video back. And my body, you can see, like, my hands kind of, like, involuntarily sort of, like, shaking. Um, just because it's like, it feels like there's electricity in my body just, like, sort of shaking me, you know? I mean that that I watched that video and I have never seen such utter joy. That moment it seems when a train kind of thrusts past you seems to completely change you. How does it change you? What does it do that moment? Well, it a lot of it is sort of like a matter of suspense and right. there is always the eventuality that the, the driver might sort of coast through or you know something might happen that might not yield the desired outcome for the situation. But yeah. when it does happen and it's kind of resolved, you're like, yes, there's that kind of like happiness in the fact that it's happened. But then there's also the total stimulation from the sound of the locomotive and any tones that might happen, which just like a cherry on top of the th- of the thrash. Yeah. I think also just by the fact that it's a rare train to see it gets me hyped and excited and it, it's just like a real melting pot of all of these aspects of my railway enthusiasm that just really come together in these moments. I'd say the feeling is very similar to if someone's in, in, in like a rave or a concert and it's like yeah. really building up and you're like, come on! <laughs> um, or or in, a, in a football match where everyone's cheering and everyone's together and it's like, it is euphoria, that's that's the word. Yeah. It genuinely, it, it, it looks like that. I mean, you exude that and it's impossible not to get contagiously excited just watching you. I see why your girlfriend is happy just to come and watch you watch the trains because that alone <laughs> is, is, is such an uplifting experience seeing the joy that you get from it. Mm. When you talk about tones, can you explain what they are for, for people who don't mind know? So tones are essentially horns on the locomotives or trains and their purpose is to alert people of the train's presence. But the driver has access to them on like a little lever. And um, sometimes like an up-down tone, a two-tone, is something that a driver will do, or sometimes even multiple tones go. (laughs) And it's just a a horn that's kind of going... Each train and locomotive has its own unique horn. So that's another kind of collecting aspect of railway enthusiasm like you have the, all these different sounds can you remember hearing seeing experiencing your first train i definitely remember what it was like to be a toddler and like mm. even less and also being a railway enthusiast at the same time it was more just i loved all things mechanical i think i i loved cars i loved planes i used to collect hot wheels cars and i'd line them all up on the bay window of my parents flat in Harleston. And uh, at the same time, I'd also look out the bay window at all the cars on the street. Yeah. Um, and because we did have a car when I was really young, uh, we used to get the train everywhere. 
and Wilston Junction. It was just where it all started. Uh, we'd sit on sort of platform five and uh, wait for a Silver Link service to pull in. And in front of the platform, but on a, on a lower level, you've, you'd have the West Coast Main Line. So you'd mm. have all sorts of things going on there with freight, uh, high-speed trains going up, up north or down to Euston. And just all of these sounds and noises going on. And I think for my own brain, it really sort of latched on and uh, sunk its teeth in. There's a real element of predictability and linearity with how the railway works. I find it almost like calming and settling for my brain. Yeah, to know something's going to happen when it's supposed to happen. Mm. And you talk about we, so that would have been your mum or your dad coming with you and sitting on Mm. the platforms with you. Did they encourage this? They didn't actively encourage it, but my parents are very open and willing to let me just explore anything and become my own person. So, I mean, they were very enabling in that when I said, could we go to the platform? They're like, yeah, sure. But none of my parents are railway enthusiasts. I'm essentially a product of my environment. There are moments, for example, where I remember seeing a Eurostar parked up next to the big yellow storage on Scrubs Lane. I know it so uh, well. I know it so well. I said to my dad, oh, dad, can we go back, please? I remember going up to the three spike fence with my dad and like looking through and seeing like this massive class 373 Eurostar just there. Um, and peering through and just, and just that being uh, enough for me to just feel you know, satisfied and happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I used to go to my mum's office and uh, I'd sit in the back while she was working and I'd cut out, there's this uh, like train book and I'd cut yeah. out pictures of the trains and then like laminate them and then she'd print off uh, certain pictures of trains for me in her office and I'd cut out and laminate them and take them back. <laughs> is making me want to cry it's so sweet it's so lovely as well that you had a mammy who would print out those pictures for you and you know enable yeah and i i owe so much to my parents and um, my brother just for really giving me the tools to be where i am at the moment right and just i think reassuring me that whatever decision i make they're behind me so for example when i uh, quit my job they're like well if you want to do it (laughs) you know (laughs) I think they knew it would be a bit of a risk, but I think they were like, you know, you can do it. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. And my brother as well, he's two years younger than me. And um, my whole life I've spent kind of doing things with him, like creatively. And I think he's definitely played a huge part in my growth, I guess. Is he the one who helped you get on TikTok originally? Is that right? Yeah. And we're making videos anyway, uh, like little sort of sketches and things as we have done for like ages and ages yeah I had an Alba camcorder from Argos that was like 20 quid and we used to just film everything we'd do things like I'd pretend to be like a a grumpy granddad then he'd be like a mischievous teenager like trying to like poke me and stuff and then create these uh elaborate kind of sketches really I used to love it really used to love Mm. it and Mm. I think because of that, when lockdown happened and I was back with Ben, he was like, oh, should we, we could start a, like a TikTok. The first couple of videos were just kind of random creations. Yeah. As time went on, because I was train spotting and also wanting to create videos at the same time, they kind of just collided. But yeah, I, I owe a lot to Ben for helping me get that started, really. <laughs> 
when did Francis Bourgeois, because that's not your real name, is he a character or is he completely you but with a different name? It is me. It's like a pseudonym. Yeah, got you. When I started the TikTok, I was also looking for jobs in the engineering industry. So I was very much aware of how they'd sort of scour every form of social media to see what I'm like. Um, yeah. So I kind of wanted to bypass that by using a pseudonym and not feeling like I'm restricted by any kind of future employment um, prospects, really. And yeah. it made me feel like I could sort of come out my shell a bit more and just, a bit yeah. <laughs> just be yeah, my yeah, sort hey. of wacky self in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now you are a household name, you're all over the TV, you're on the red carpets, you're interviewing people, celebs, you've got this Channel 4 show. I mean, it's been incredible to watch. Mm. And it's a horrible question, I'm sorry to ask it, but why do you think people are so attracted to your videos and to what you do? I think because, to put it simply, I'm happy. And <laughs> through just the translation of energy I guess people feel happy because of it and also I think it reminds people of moments when they've been feeling amazing moments of euphoria and I think people can identify with having a really strong love and passion for something as well in some cases and I also understand in others some people might not have like a really strong passion but I guess through my videos they can connect with what it feels like have you noticed a surge or a new movement of young people who are on the platforms? Well, I'd say there's certainly a, like a new generation of enthusiasm. I feel like I have influenced a few people, but I think social media in general has enabled mm. people to, to come together with railway enthusiasm and it's sort of catalyzed it even more. But yeah. the thing that I love to hear and really sort of makes me feel good is when I get a message or someone comes up to me and says you've made me reconnect with my passion and feel strongly with it again or some people have said you know you've made it cool and you've made the, the public perception of it change which I find bonkers because I've always felt <laughs> the railway is cool but yeah. I think to be able to make that difference for people is really powerful and I'm really grateful that I'm in the position where I can. Yeah, there's a lovely quote that I picked out from an interview that you did with the Gentleman's Journal. You said one of the most meaningful things was when a young train spotter messaged me saying I used to be bullied for my hobby and now people respect me for it. In that moment, I basically helped my younger self become free. So that was powerful. That's yeah. beautiful. That's so beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit, Francis, about the younger self and I suppose your relationship with your passion? Well, from London... And then later to Somerset, I carried this passion for the railway very strongly through sort of primary school. I had my model railway and it took over vast portions of the house. <laughs> that was the thing I looked forward to finishing school and going back and tinkering with my railway. I essentially switched schools for secondary school, not switched schools per se, but I went to a school that my friends at my primary school didn't go to. So I was starting right. afresh, essentially. Yeah. I had yeah. uh, one friend who I went to the school with called James, but we weren't really in the same classes. So I had to find my kind of social footing through just experience in secondary school. I sort of quickly understood what was cool, that like the status quo, what the popular people liked and were interested in. I had no one else talking about trains apart from me and James. I felt like if I went 
out with that is what I'd potentially be known for. I thought I wouldn't really be socially kind of successful, I guess. And I think my main goal was just to make friends. So, And what were you like in school? Were you quiet? Were you academic? I loved maths. It was really interesting transition I'd say through secondary school for me because I started out being really quite quiet and shy and not really finding my place in my mind I I treated it a bit like a a feedback loop of what's kind of being said that's cool like and I kind of adapt and then feed that back in I made some really great friends really really great friends but I had a friendship group that I started out with that I then switched over to a new one and um I realized after the the main body of secondary school that my initial friendship group I guess made me the happiest and I reconnected with mm-hmm. them in sixth form and then really focused on my studies I guess I I just switched my kind of objectives really those few years when you went with the other crowd how did that change you physically and in terms of you as a person I suppose Within this new group that I went into, I made friends that I, I definitely sort of still call friends. But the way yeah. that it changed was, I remember the first stage was identifying that these guys were talking about like Supreme and like clothes and uh, stuff like that. And I thought, oh, Supreme. Yeah. And I remember visiting my granny in London and I thought I could go with Ben to the Supreme shop. And I went there and got some Supreme clothing. Yeah. And I thought, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Like they're going to think it's so cool. So I remember it was like a like a own yeah. clothes day and I wore my Supreme jumper. And it was like a really strange reception to it. I was kind of like, yeah, like, this is it. I kind of identified that people were interested in the, the clothes and it was kind of helping me socially, I guess. So then I kind of yeah. went into yeah, yeah. that space and I was like, getting into Air Max shoes and being hot on like the latest Supreme drops. I started to like gel up my hair in the beginning. Then I um, went shorter and then eventually shaved it all off. It was a interesting transition, but I felt at the time and I still feel now, it was like a natural evolution into sort of being a teenager. And at the same time, my, my model railway took a back seat and I just, I, d- I decided that it was time for me to move on. And it was, it was kind of my coolness compass telling me that's not it anymore. That's your childhood, and you can sort of leave that and let go of that, which I've uh, come to gr- regret massively. I sold it all on eBay. It was really weird because I was lining all my trains up and making them look like they were in a depot all together and taking photos with like a nice white background. And I was looking at them and it's like, ah, oh. I. I still wanted to, there was a bit inside me that still wanted to keep them. But uh, I sold them all. They went to a, a model shop um, through sixth form. I then just got really stuck into my maths and physics and engineering. And uh, I thought, yes, I'm going to become an engineer. At the same time, my, my, my railway enthusiasm kind of switched to YouTube. My comfort would be watching <laughs> train videos but going to uni was was a big shift in that I found that there were so many people with so many different interests and appearances and hobbies. I realised then that secondary school and sixth form, that everyone kind of became the same person in a way. Yes, completely, yeah. Out the other side of that, 
started train spotting again. Yeah. Lockdown happened and then that was brought back and really accelerated. <laughs> such a wonderful story it's kind of interesting how you know your approach in as a teen it's quite mathematical it's just like okay it's like talking about this feedback loop okay how you know yeah. how am I going to integrate how's this going to work and then it's so wonderful that you were able to come back yeah. to the original passion and I guess not just I mean obviously it was there you're watching the videos but to be able to act on that mm. just and to keep going and then to make it what you are today are you a full-time <laughs> train spotter yeah. now Francis it is my job essentially when you say you left your job what was that job and when was mm. that so it was part of uh, my degree yeah so I studied mechanical engineering and um, in my fourth year I started work at Rolls-Royce wow I was working there for just under six months. And at the same time, my videos were sort of gaining traction. And in fact, the main reason why I chose to use a pseudonym in the first place became totally redundant because by the end of my time at Rolls-Royce, nearly everyone knew me <laughs> and had seen my yeah. videos. Even even the plant director had been shown my video at one point, <laughs> which I found quite funny. But it was like my first time having a proper job. And I was working with cars and I was being an engineer. That decision to take a leap from the proper job, as you called it, to this, which is obviously still a very valid proper job, but it's it's mm. different. You know, you don't get a pension. You don't get all, the, you know, there's the, the kind of sense of security you get from working with a big company is not quite there. You said your parents backed you. How did you have the courage to do it like that? And how did you know it was the right time to do it? I think because I realised there are some opportunities and railway events that were happening that I really wanted to right. see and that I was missing. I went on this app called Cameo where oh, you, yeah. you can uh, create sort of birthday messages for people. And yeah. I remember I put my car in for a service and the bill came back in the thousands and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to afford this? And I thought I'd been debating doing Cameo and I yeah. thought actually I'd probably need to do it now. Uh, in order to get my car serviced. So I went on it and put on my Instagram that I was on Cameo. And there was yeah. one happy birthday message that I recorded that where I realised how absurd it was what I was doing. I was just going, <laughs> happy birthday too. And I realised all of my <laughs> housemates were listening to me doing all of these happy birthday <laughs> messages. And I just I just started laughing. And I sent this Cameo to someone and I I also saved it and put it on my Instagram story saying, I'm doing cameos. <laughs> and, and then with this video of me just not being able to contain myself singing happy birthday. And then off, off the yeah. back of that, it was just... <laughs> got all these... Crazy amount of cameos. Yeah. So after that, I'd, I'd get back from work and do like sometimes 40 or 50 of these cameo videos. And it was really exhausting. But luckily, I was able to make enough to, to pay for my car service. And also, it gave me sort of the reassurance that if I were to sort of finish my job, I would kind of have yeah. a bit of uh, st financial stability, I guess. And I thought, you know what, I have this great opportunity now to do something that I never thought I'd be able to do. And yeah, off the back of that, I, I created some of my most kind of successful videos, my first 
encounter with 73962 Dick Mabut. I did a, a video where I um, f- fell off the back of this camping chair. Oh, um, <laughs> saw that one. So the train rushes past and it's like the velocity <laughs> of it knocks you off the chair. Yeah. Um, how, many, how many views does that one have now? Um, that one had, has a 15.2 million on TikTok and has only just wow. been surpassed by a video I posted four days ago which has since got 5.8 million. So that that's only... In four days! Yeah, that's only just overtaken that one. So the, the falling off the chair one's been a long-standing uh, success. Do you think that, because um, you started making the videos in 2021 during COVID, you know the way you're talking about people obviously just enjoy watching happiness and joy and this sense of euphoria that you get. It's, it's, it's beautiful to watch and it's so contagious. Do you think something about covid and how the world suddenly seems so scary and threatening in a way you know contributed to your videos getting such popularity as a lovely counteraction to that i think so and a lot of people have come to me and said your videos got me through covid yeah i was very lucky to be in the countryside during lockdown and i had access to Mm. open spaces and you know, when I had my hour walk in the day, it would be an hour walk to the train bridge and I'd see a train or I'd go out and film a music video with my brother, even though it was so awful for a lot of people. Mm. It was one of the best times for me and Ben because we were just together and had nothing stopping us from being, like, creative. And I think that translated in the videos and then translated through to people. I think if lockdown and COVID hadn't happened... I don't think I'd have made my TikTok account and I don't think I'd be where I am now, which is a really weird, really weird thought. It's interesting you say that one of the reasons why you like trains or your brain, it seems attracted to trains is the predictability mm. of it, the kind of security. And But your whole path has been so unpredictable, <laughs> hasn't it? Yeah. Like the predictable thing would have been to not go back to yeah. trains and then to go to university and to kind of go and get the proper job and stay in it. Yeah, I think that satisfies the other side of my brain in that leaving my job was going off in a completely different direction. But I think my, my heart was leading me and I think, uh, I think it, it just, just felt, it felt right at the time. And there's an element as well of being able to make that decision of being sure in yourself and being kind of um, confident in your own decisions and in your own ability to make decisions and your own ability to forge your own path. And that's always been encouraged in you by your parents. Mm. You know, you've always been your own guy. That's the one thing I've learned being a parent, right, is that you have kids and they are their own guys. (laughs) I have two sons from the minute they're born. Like they're just Mm. them. And all you can do is facilitate them and enable them as you as you use that word. But a lot of parents can't help, I suppose, well-intentioned to try and steer their mm. children in a way they, where they think it will do them well or, that you know, it's more security or that. But it felt like your parents were very... They trusted you to be the person that you needed to be for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. But they're still advising that I um, round off my degree and finish it because I right. essentially have a, a week-long essay that I need to do in order to convert right. from a master's in engineering to a bachelor's in engineering, and then I can graduate. And I think that's the only thing that they wanted me to, to do, to make sure that three years of uni and 
of sweat and tears hadn't just sort of been thrown out the window. Yeah, that's fair. I get it. That's fair enough. Yeah. Will you do it, do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, good. What do they think now that you've left the job and your brother? How do they feel about your success? I think they're excited by it. Um, but as always, their their main focus is on my well-being. Um, yeah. And just, you know, I'll go home and my parents will make sure I'm eating well, drinking well, sleeping well, yeah. <laughs> not going out too much. Um, and just, uh, just making sure I'm good. They're also making sure I, I understand that this might not be forever. I might end up back in it in engineering again, which I would be mm. you know, totally happy about. Um, but I think they see me going off and doing something that's quite out there. And, you know, uh, there are moments where, you know, on social media, they might see I'm getting sort of hate or like not mm. nice comments. And, you know, naturally as parents, I think they want to make sure I'm fine. And I think that's their main, main objective. You are now kind of a viral TikTok person and that's a whole new landscape. That's a whole new thing. You know, that's something that can only be of our time. Mm. So it's kind of a new frontier, I suppose, of celebrity and a mm. whole new set of goods and bads and pros and cons. How have you coped with the change in becoming, you know, viral and being recognisable for that? Um, it's been interesting because... When I, I think I was on 260,000 followers on TikTok and that was the first time someone came up to me and said, I love your videos, can I get a photo? And I was like, what? And up until then I thought, sort of 260,000 versus uh, 64 million UK population, that's just a small percentage and enough to feel sort of fine walking around and know that you're not yeah. going to to see someone. And I felt from that moment afterwards, I went to a pub and everyone was going, Francis, Francis. <laughs> and it was totally overwhelming and out of this world. And afterwards, when people came up and asked for photos, I'd be like, yeah, sure, sure. And it, it felt, it was, it was a bit nerve wracking. But since then, I've kind of developed like a, kind of like a bit of an autopilot mode to deal with those sometimes really like jumpy surprisey situations like I can understand why people get very excited because you know they know that I'm someone who loves trains and gets excited by trains but sometimes in the street when someone runs across and shouts my name I'm going to be like (gasps) but um yeah there's kind of like a, a set sort of procedure in my mind in a way to like go about these uh interactions but there are moments that completely break that where, for example, like there might be a parent with their son on a platform and they say, he really loves your videos, can you get a photo? <laughs> and then immediately um, I, I think, okay, that, that is little me there. I go, yeah. oh, how's it going? Like, um, <laughs> and, and they're like, oh my God, love hearts <laughs> in their eyes. It's Francis, it's so but, exciting. Like they have someone to like look up to and yeah. aspire to some of these faces that I've seen that like stay in my mind it's kind of complete like almost I can kind of see the tears like brimming their eyes and it's like oh my god I have that kind of effect it's really weird um that is the side of the public interactions that I 
really love when I can see someone old or young um, and see in person how I've kind of affected them. Yeah. Um, because through the phone, I kind of see people saying, oh, it's wholesome and da da da. But mm. there's never that connection in my mind to someone's actual emotions. Whereas seeing it in their face and seeing it in person is totally different. But online, when the whole thing came out about people questioning my authenticity. Just to explain, so that was people finding photos of you in that era that you described, yeah. where as a teenager, where you're, you, you know, you're all muscly and you've got your gelled hair and um, you've got your roadman clothes and you look very different from the Francis Bourgeois that they know now. Yeah. So they were questioning your, your authenticity, yeah. Yeah, um, and I remember, I, I'm not on Twitter, but I remember my, people texting me saying, are you okay? I'm seeing everything that's happening on Twitter. I thought, oh God, what, what's going on? And then right. I went onto Twitter and saw that I was trending. All of the people saying, this guy's a fake, da 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 And I think the fact that people held me in their mind as someone who's happy, wholesome, um, loving, caring, loves yeah. trains, and it's just out there doing that, seeing that on online and then seeing a picture of me appearing to be different, I think destroyed a lot of people's belief that I was real and genuine. Mm. And I remember driving, I was actually train spotting at the time. I was in sort of the Northampton area and I was driving back to London. And I remember driving and just being in an absolute state because I thought I'd kind of sort of come out of my shell in posting my train videos and... I almost felt like I was being sort of pushed back in. But mm. I I remember driving and thinking, right, I'm going to say something about it, definitely. And the only way I can really go about this is just being totally open and taking people back to the time where these photos are from and kind of explaining my my story as I have done now, you know, kind of the transition through school to university and to now. And with that video, I couldn't have anticipated how, how well it was received because so many people not only kind of realised that you know, I, I was being sort of open and genuine, but also people realised that they kind of identified with it as well to an extent. Yeah. And yeah. I, I feel like everyone has gone through school and felt in some way or another that they've needed to conform or hide themselves or pretends to be something they're not and I, and I think because of that people saw my experience and then that was enough to confirm that things <laughs> you know are, are genuine and I, I still get people saying this guy's a fake he's a fraud da, 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 da. but I know in my heart that I'm having a brilliant time and I'm making a positive difference and I think that's that's what I hold on to and that's what keeps me going without worrying about people saying that anymore Francis what change would you still like to see moving forwards I would like to see more kindness and random acts of kindness <clears throat> I see very visually how energy can be created like happy energy can be created a train driver can do like a, a horn and that's their random act of kindness <laughs> uh, for me. 
And I, I'm excited by it. And that's the translation of energy to me. And then the translation of energy to all of your viewers. Yeah. Think about that. Like, it's just exponential, isn't it? It's exponential kindness because it just goes on and on. Yeah. And I see people saying, oh, you've made my day. And I thought, actually, the train driver has made your day because maybe that morning he had a delicious breakfast that someone very kindly made him. You know, that, that... knock-on effect is so unprecedented and sometimes an act of kindness could go to someone and that energy could fizzle out and you know maybe that person isn't ready to continue that that energy yeah but in general I feel like if everyone can try to do that um and if there's a culture of random acts of kindness I think everywhere will be better and that everywhere will become a better place. Yeah, my mum is a massive advocate for random acts of kindness, and sometimes she'll she'll randomly buy the next person's coffee. Um, yeah. And she doesn't need to have the gratification of knowing how how grateful the next person is. She knows that her energy that she's just put out then, you know, has made someone feel happy. And, you know, that, that can continue. From, like, an engineering science perspective, energy can never be created or destroyed. It's always sort of translated or turned into something else. Yeah. But kindness energy can be created and it can be multiplied and expanded. And, yeah. and all it takes is for someone to act on it. So that, that would be the change that I'd, I want to, I'd want to see. Oh, so beautiful. That's such a beautiful answer. And your mother sounds like a complete legend. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Francis, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been a joy to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. It's been lovely too. Thanks. I'm so grateful to Francis for that conversation. I found it really moving in a lot of places. And I found myself welling up as the mother of two sons. And as someone who's kind of in the middle of parenting young children, I'm always so curious about how to allow children to be fully themselves. And it feels like Francis's parents did such a good job of kind of enabling him to be him, you know. And obviously he had to go around the houses in secondary school and have a bit of an identity crisis before he was able to come back to himself. But the fact that he was able to come back to himself is a very beautiful thing, I think. And I'm very excited for him and see what he does in the future. But yeah, an all-round hugely charming and incredibly intelligent guest. Loved talking to him. So if you enjoyed this, please share it. Send it to everyone you know. Maybe you know Francis Bourgeois naysayers. Send this to them and let them decide for themselves. Maybe you're a train spotter yourself. Maybe you have someone in your life who loves watching Francis's videos. Or maybe, like me, you're someone who's just really interested in how to bring up children in all of their glorious differences. But yeah, share it around. And if you like, do subscribe too. We release episodes every Monday. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. Thank you so much. See ya.